Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of A Millennial Learns. We are going over a very interesting topic today, at least what I think is interesting, <laughs> um, and a lot of things that I wish I would have known before buying a home, like a, a new build home. So we're going over the process of building a house and how it varies based on the type of house you buy. For example, my husband and I are buying a house that is in a new build community. So we chose a floor plan, we chose some of the finishes, and the developer had this area of land that they're selling. But the process kind of varies and it's a lot more involved if you're building a fully custom home. There's also very, very like cookie cutter homes where you don't get a lot of um, customization. So there are these different types of homes. There's a lot of pros and cons to each type that you build. And then I wanted to go over a little bit about the actual process of physically building the home, some of the timelines of that, and kind of what to expect throughout your home building and buying journey, <laughs> um, depending on which type of home you buy. So there's a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. We're gonna go over all of that. And hopefully this is informative if you are entering this insane housing market. So hope you enjoy and let's get into it. Okay, so there are a few different types of homes that you can build, but before I get into the different types, I wanna a little bit just really quickly mention why people are doing these new builds or custom homes and things like that, because really the traditional and most popular way to get into the real estate market or the housing market or to buy your first home is to just buy one that's going up for sale. So someone's been living in a house, they decide to move, they put it up for sale, you know, you put in an offer and you purchase the home. Usually you'll be moving in within like 45 days or you can they can rent it back to you for a period of time and it's just a negotiation between the buyer and seller for when you're moving in but it's a quick turnaround now at that point they can do whatever renovations they want to kind of make it more unique or more their own or more aligned with their style but uh it's just easy like you have a house already and you're just buying it and you move in in a quick timeline now that seems to be the most convenient but in this housing market it is crazy right now so we were looking for a house starting january of last year so like about a year and a half ago or i guess just over a year ago we were looking for houses and we went and saw a couple houses we liked them and we found this one that was so cute it was kind of older it was on a quarter acre of land it was you know kind of quaint it reminded me of the brady bunch to be honest like the brady bunch house but they had had some updates and things like that it was in a good neighborhood all of that good stuff but they had things like popcorn ceilings that we knew we would have to like kind of rip out because it was asbestos from that time period um so we would either have to leave them there which we do not like the look of that and so we would have to make all these updates and, and things it just wasn't perfect um 
but we were like, okay, we could definitely make this work. So we put in an offer within 48 hours. We put in an offer and we were one of, I think like 12 or 20 offers or something like that. They told us the number and I was, I knew it at the time because it was so impressed in my brain about how crazy this market was. It was like over 15 offers, I think, um, on this house within 48 hours. We put an offer that was 25,000 over ask and the offer that they took ended up being 50,000 over ask. So we were like, we are not even in the game. Like we are not even close to having this be accepted. So at that point we were like, okay, maybe there will be a new build that comes up. But the problem is here, at least in our area, most of the new builds are in these very, very densely packed suburbs, which I have grown to dislike and my husband has always hated. So that was not really an option. We wanted like at least three acres and just some space, some room to breathe, but we just were not finding anything like in our budget that was available that we liked on land that was in the right location. So we were looking, looking, we were like, you know what? It could, this could take oh, quite a while. So we're just going to hold out for a bit and see. And then all of a sudden our real estate agent found that this new community was being built. Every house had three acres of land at least, or like just under, I think ours ended up being 2.81 acres or something like that. Um, but they had like at least three acres of land. There were only 60 houses in the neighborhood. It was like right in the perfect town between my brother's house and my parents' house. And so we were all really close. Like it was perfect, perfect, perfect. And they were all new builds. The problem is they were a bit more expensive and we had to wait, you know, at least a year for the house to be done, which ended up being good because we've saved a lot of money that way. But um, so that's why we ended up doing a new build. And I feel like that's why a lot of people are doing new builds right now, because first of all, your price most of the time is locked in. You have like, you know, very low maintenance for the first few years because everything's brand new and you can start, you know, if you're, if you catch it early enough in the process, you can customize your finishes and things like that. So it's very good and like you can kind of get more of what you want with a new build with just buying a home that's already existing you kind of have to like try to envision what your style would look like how you would change it figure out how your life would like fit into this kind of floor plan is this going to work for our family for our future things like that so new builds are good because you can customize some more stuff and um you know, for the most part. And also for the most part, your price is locked in. Now there was this thing happening when we signed, we signed in January of 2021 for our new house and we had our price locked in. Now, some builders were not doing that. They were saying that the price was variable. So like, I would never sign that contract. I don't think. I wanted a price locked in, but some builders were saying, okay, well, since lumber prices are crazy and since these supply chain issues are crazy, we're not locking in a price. So you'll just sign the papers and then we'll just, you know, we'll lock in a price somewhere along the way. 
They were also doing things where, you know, usually when you're buying a new house, you go into like a sales office, you say, okay, which ones are available? Here's one, this lot will be X amount of dollars. And then you say, okay, that works with our budget. We'll lock in for that land. And you're kind of like, it's kind of first come first serve to the sales office. They were also doing something in Colorado at least, where you would go into the sales office, say, I want this one. They would put you on a list of all the other people who had said they wanted that one, and then they would put it up for bid. So it was a very variable price and the highest bidder won, which is insane. Like I, I had never even heard of that for like a new build, but that's what how crazy the market got and, and everything. So that's just what we were dealing with, with even new builds and just putting an offer in on an existing build was insane. So our builder luckily locked in a price. It was just the traditional, like we walk into the sales office, we see which is left. Um, and then we choose the plot we want with the house we want. So let's assume that we are going the new build route and you're trying to make a new build. I wanted to go through the process and the different varieties of what you might find with a new build. So there's three different types of homes that you can build. They're called tracked, speculative, and custom homes. So tracked homes, um, the builders have specific floor plans. They're all going to look similar and have shared amenities, this says. And <clears throat> for straight tracked homes, you're going to have very little chance to customize because they, the builder like has their set finishes usually, and you might get to pick a few things, but really they want to like knock out as many homes as possible for as little money as possible. So they have like a standard way of doing things, standard finishes, and it's like the least customizable you can get with new homes. Now, speculative homes, or they usually call them just spec homes, are pretty similar to tracked homes, but there's some more customization available if you purchase early enough in the building process. So my brother and his wife did build or did buy a spec home where customization would have been available, but they purchased late enough in the process to where they didn't get to pick any of their finishes. Like the builder chose the floor plan and put it on that plot and then chose the finishes for them um, because they wanted to just get moving with the building. But like the other houses in their neighborhood, if they got in early enough, from what I understand, they could choose their finishes. So it's kind of varied with the timeline of these spec homes, what you can choose and pick out and what you can't. Ours is, I believe, a spec home because we got to go to the design center. We got to finish out or, or choose all of our finishes like countertops, cabinets, floors, all of the interior we got to pick out in all of our finishes um, and, you know, paint and all of that. So the, um, the thing is, these speculative homes and tracked homes specifically, tracked homes can save you a lot of money. The lack of flexibility really equals cost savings because again, the builder can just knock out a bunch of these homes with very little variety. And so they get savings in a lot of different areas from bulk buying all of these finishes. Um, 
for the spec homes, you do get to choose the floor plan, but they're all gonna be pre-done. So you have to choose one that is within your budget and which layout you like. So for example, for our neighborhood, they had like six different floor plans you could choose from. They came in a variety of prices. And so we chose the one that kind of fit our budget more and had a good layout. Like some of the ones that are even more expensive than our floor plan in our same neighborhood, I really don't like the layout that much. Like there's some things about it that I think are weird and I wouldn't have actually wanted to have that house. Like there is a floor plan in our neighborhood that has two doors. One goes into, I think the dining room and one goes into, or maybe the living room, like dining room, living room. And one is like your front door. And a bunch of people have that because it's like a, an expensive, very nice house plan. But you can tell that they have problems with people walking into the wrong door thinking that's the front door, you know, because they have to like block that doorway off or like put chairs in front of it. And so things like that, you know, you have to design, you have to choose the floor plan that best aligns with your life and what you enjoy. So you're not customizing like how many bedrooms and where everything is, but you can choose whichever one aligns with you the most. You pretty much also, a downside is you have to go with whatever builder is there. With like a fully custom home, you can go recruit any builder you want that's willing to do custom homes. But if we wanted to build in our neighborhood, um, we had to go with our builder who has all the land. So we're going with local homes and that's who bought the land, that's who's selling it, that's who's building, there's no choice there. You can't build in that area if you're not gonna build through local. So um, again, a plus side is you can customize your finishes, but you can't customize like everything as much as you could a full custom home. Again, layouts standard and um, there's some things that you really can't move. Um, so you can customize, but not to the full extent of like a custom home. And then for like, let's say a custom home, you need a construction loan to start building because you need to like be paying them. You're pretty much like the, the manager of it. You can obviously hire someone to be like the general contractor and stuff like that, but you are hiring crews, they're hiring crews. So you many, many times, if you don't have the cash on hand to just build a home from scratch, you need to get a construction loan at the beginning. With a speculative and tracked home, you just need the money at closing. So they looked at our finances first, pre-qualified us with like our income and things like that. And then we don't actually get the loan for our home until like the day of closing or, you know, um, we get locked into a rate like 30 days before and, and they get that all figured out right next to closing, which is nice because we have had like over a year to save money for this house. And we'll talk about all of the downsides of having to wait a year for the house. But um, yeah, so that's spec homes. Those are like a longer, I mean, for any of these, it's gonna be a longer turnaround than like just buying a pre-done home. So like I was saying, if you went and bought a house that had already been lived in, the turnaround is probably like a month or two. For a new build, depending on when you come into the in the process, 
it can be a year plus, especially with a fully custom home. So let's talk about fully custom homes here. So custom homes provide you with definitely the most options. You can choose your own land, you go purchase the land, and then you bring in a builder to build your house on that land. So you can choose your own land, you choose your own floor plan, you choose all the amenities, you have complete control over everything in your house. You will have a general contractor who is leading you probably in this process, if you are not experienced in that um, on your own, but there's tons of flexibility. Um, you have way more decisions. There's like more meetings, you know, more stress presumably because you're just deciding every single detail of your house. You have to like coordinate with the architect to design your house, like coordinate the, the permits and the um, inspections and all of that kind of thing. It's like more on your plate or more on your general contractor's plate than if a builder like local is going to build for you. The other thing with custom homes is that there's, it's really hard to get any sort of accurate house cost at the beginning. So I was just talking to someone at the my hair salon who is building a custom home. And she was saying that they've already like had to up their, or like their final house price is gonna be at least like 150,000 more dollars than they originally had thought because lumber prices were crazy at the time. They had to buy lumber and all that. So you like really don't know. It's not like a builder is locking your contract in on a certain price. Um, you're really just like paying as you go almost. So you have like maybe a little bit of an idea of how expensive this house will be, but it can change at any moment. There can be definite unforeseen delays, surprise costs. That is common, common, common on custom homes. You also have to go find the land to build on and then figure out what needs to be done to actually be able to uh, build on that land. So for example, some land, it's like beautiful and in an amazing location, but there's no access to water and all the utilities on there yet. So then you have to go coordinate getting that brought into that land. You have to get all the permitting for that and stuff like that. And again, you have to finance that at the beginning um, and get a construction loan if you don't have just hundreds of thousands of dollars laying around. So somewhere in between the spec home and the custom home is something called a semi-custom home. It says, um, often where a customized home is built based on an existing set of house plans that have been altered to meet the buyer's needs. Um, it's also a term used for some spec home builders who provide greater flexibility and a large set of options to customize their stock plans for the new home buyer. So this sounds like if you're going to go in and build a house, there are some builders who will take a specific set of designs and you can actually like change the architectural plan if you want. There's a lot more flexibility. That's known as a semi-custom home. So it falls somewhere in the, in the middle. Obviously there's a lot of variety here, but um, those are kind of the three big categories is tracked homes, spec homes, and custom homes. Okay, so let's talk about the actual process of what they do when they're building a home. Because I did not know a lot of this and I've just been like learning as our house is <laughs> going through these steps as to what to expect. 
So process of building a house. So let's go and say that you are doing a custom home. You need to go find and buy the lot. Again, this is only applicable to custom homes because for ours, which I'm going to call a spec home, I'm pretty sure it's a spec home. For ours, the builder has all the lots they're going to build on. So we just chose one of their lots. If we were to build a custom home, we would have to go to like buy the land off of someone and then get a builder to build our house on top of that land. But so for ours, they had all the lots, but what you do is they had us buy our land and our house like separately. So our house cost X amount of dollars for our base plan. But then in order to actually purchase in our neighborhood, you had to buy the land, which was like another $150,000 or whatever for our three acre plot. So they can say like, oh, these houses are pretty affordable. Your model is only this many dollars, but then you have to put it on the land and you have to buy the plot separately. So sometimes they do it like that. Sometimes they bundle it in a lot of these suburban houses that are pretty densely packed. You're not like buying your plot and then buying your house. The land is just included in the house price, but for these bigger acreages, acreage properties, they tend to split them up. It seems so again, if you are buying and building a custom home, you may have to add access to water, sewer, electricity, if the land doesn't already have that. Okay, then they do building site prep. So that means if there's trees, they're clearing the property, they need to level it to make sure that they can actually build like a level house there. If you need a septic system, they're building that at that point, and then they start digging holes and trenches for the foundation. Now there's an interesting thing in Colorado, which I didn't really realize was, I'm sure it's not an only Colorado thing, but like it's only in certain climates where we tend to have a lot of soil expansion. So if you dig out this trench and pour your foundation, the soil tends to expand and it'll actually like crush your house and cause cracks and and things with the drywall like it causes problems so what they do here is they pound the soil a few times like they go in with these machines and like pound it down and all this stuff to and then um to make it more dense and then they test it to make sure you know all the soil is good and it won't expand and crack the foundation and things like that so there's some extra steps in different climates i'm sure there are some other soil concerns for other climates as well but for at least the soil expansion aspect um that's what they have to do in colorado they then install footings so these are like little cement like they kind of look like cement boards or like these long rectangle things and those are to distribute the weight of vertical loads directly to the soil so that, you know, your house has the right structure, essentially. They're generally wider than the foundation and sit one foot below the frost line. So this is like the base of your house. Okay, then the foundation is poured. You can have a few different 
foundation options. You can have a slab foundation, you can have a crawl space, or you can have a full basement poured. So ours is, we have a full basement, but then we also have like the bottom of it is a slab foundation so that if the soil does expand a little bit or there's like some movement and settling of the house, things will flex a little bit and hopefully not cause any cracking. Okay, so once they pour the foundation, the concrete goes through a curing process and that's what causes it to reach the maximum strength. So for 28 to 60 days, it cures and gets to that maximum strength, but they don't have to wait that whole time before building can actually resume. They usually resume building after about a week while the curing process is still going on. Then at some point after it's cured, foundation always needs to be waterproofed. So they'll waterproof it after it's cured. Okay, after you have a foundation, um, they will start installing like drains, sewers, taps. So there's going to be some trenches in uh, like around your house because they're getting all the lines hooked up to get the water and the sewage and all of that into your house. So like for ours, we have city line, like gas city lines and things. And so they have to dig trenches to get that to our house. Okay. So once all of the, the foundations poured and the land is kind of prepped and ready to go, it is time for framing. So this is where they put up lumber, they do the flooring, the ceilings, and the roof trusses. And then they put big wooden sheets um, up like between all the wood, I guess, on the outside of the house, like the exterior. And then they wrap the house with plastic wrapping to keep moisture out. Now, I think, I mean, we they still do this in Colorado, definitely, because there is, you know, rain and snow and that kind of thing, but it didn't seem like the roof was wrapped super well. Like, there was definitely water coming into our house when the snow melted and stuff at this stage. I'm pretty sure it doesn't matter that much here because Colorado tends to be so dry that things dry super quickly, so... They said that this is to prevent like mold and mildew and, you know, things like that. I think in other climates, this is much more of a concern than in Colorado because it's just so dry. So once they have the general structure up, they start installing windows and exterior doors. This happens way earlier in the process than I thought. They had our windows in so quick after the house was up, so that was really nice. Um, then after the windows and exterior doors, they do plumbing, electrical, and HVAC. Okay, now do I have a tale to tell <laughs> about our plumbing, electrical, and HVAC? So our plumbing was done early on. Like, I don't, I forget the timeline. I would have to go back and check the timeline here. But we had our framing, we had our windows, we had all of our stuff. And we waited maybe like a week. And then they said, okay, we're starting, we're going to start plumbing and HVAC. And we're all excited. Like, okay, great. That went in within literally a day. Like our gas lines were in in one day. Our plumbing was in in a day. Our bathtubs went in. The, the water lines were all hooked up. And our HVAC... 
I believe took like maybe a week and a half and it was right before plumbing. So our HVAC was looking good. Our plumbing was looking amazing. And we got told that there's like no electrical crew in our neighborhood anymore. They just like can't find anyone to do electrical. So we were like, what? We were the fifth house in the list of houses that needed electrical and there was just not an electrical crew to be found. There was supposed to be an electrical crew that would come back after this other job that they had and that job kept getting delayed. So for weeks, they kept saying, we're coming in the next two days and they wouldn't. And then they'd say, well, our thing got pushed back and all this. So for a couple weeks, there was just no electrical crew. So that was a little bit stressful. Then we get this call. Hey, we found an electrical crew. We had elevated it to like the owner of the building company. And we found this crew and they're going to start on your house on Monday. It was a Thursday, I think, at this point. Like so excited. We're all hyped. We decide to drive by our house to show a few family members on Saturday. And we see... A, an electrical like an electrician and we're all excited we go in we see all these wires we're like oh are you guys already done with electrical it wasn't even supposed to start for a couple days they say yeah i i think you know someone's just going to come and clean up tomorrow and do a few additions but like we're mostly done so we were so excited we're walking around we're like oh this is amazing they're like ahead of schedule we start going around and looking at the electrical and we realize that everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. Which was frustrating. So what had happened was when you go to the design center to pick out your finishes, like that same week you go to an electrical meeting and what you do is if you want to move canned lights or add fans like the rough-ins or anything electrical that you want to add extra yeah extra lights like we have this art nook thing that we added a light to highlight the art and all of that you go and you move around your outlets you move around um your lighting and and things like that so they give you a clean version our model is called the Tenley. And so they give us a clean Tenley version of the electrical plan. And then we go through this meeting and we move a bunch of things around. We take out some lights, we put in some lights, all of this. Well, when we walk into the house, we notice a bunch of things are wrong. And then we pull up the clean version before our meeting. And they had used that to wire the whole house. So that wouldn't be that big of a deal because it's not like we moved every single outlet or anything. But what is a big deal is that in that meeting, in the electrical meeting, the default is to put the electrical box up on the first floor in the garage. But when we were talking to the electrician lady, when she was walking us through this, she said, are you going to ever want to finish your basement? And we said, yes. And she goes, okay, well then if you're gonna wanna do that, then we need to move the electrical box down to the basement because, or the, the panel. I don't know if I have the correct terms for all this. I just call it the box, <laughs> but I think it's called the electrical panel. It's like when you have to reset a breaker or something. Anyway, 
She said, you're going to need to put that in the basement because if you don't have it, you're going to need that down there when you finish the basement. So it'll save you thousands of dollars if you put it down there to start with instead of having to add one later. So we said, okay, great. It was going to cost like $500. We were totally fine with that because it would save us thousands of dollars later. And But she said, okay, well, just because of the layout of your house, that's actually the easier spot for us to put that. And so you get it for free just because of the grading of your place and the orientation that your house needs to be in all this. So we were assured that the panel would be in the basement, but we walk in and our entire house is wired with the panel in the garage. So every single outlet is flowing to this electrical box upstairs when it's supposed to be downstairs. So even if there's just a few lights they have to take out or a few things they have to move, in theory, they would have to rewire every single thing, like take out all the wiring and put a new panel, like and move the panel downstairs. So we were stressed to say the least. The other thing that happened is we were supposed to have this railing in our front. Like as you walk in the front door, you're supposed to see this railing on the right and this hallway on our left is supposed to have this uh, recessed wall. So it's like this big kind of inlet in the wall. We were going to put this entryway piece in and we were going to like tile this whole wall and things like that. So we were looking forward to this. Now that framing had looked wrong from the beginning and I honestly should have pushed it more. I tried to ask the construction manager like what that was or like why it was different from the plan and he never got back to me on it. So I kind of just let it go thinking it might, I feel stupid saying it might fix itself, but I was like, oh, maybe they'll catch it and, and just finish it. Maybe it's temporary somehow. I don't really know. But on the right where the the railing was supposed to be, there was also like what seemed like pretty permanent wood that was there. But the entire time we had assumed maybe that's a safety thing. There's probably a few, you know, they probably put some temporary wood in there as just, you know, it's supposed to be a railing. It's probably temporary. So we just didn't even mention that. We go in once the electrical is being done and there is now an outlet on what is supposed to be the railing, what we thought was temporary wood. So we were like all in this frenzy and we had to like call the, um, you know, the lady at the, the office and call the construction manager. I left him like multiple voicemails. I'm sure he was really annoyed. But on Monday they got back to us and said, yes, somehow the plan like defaulted to this other Tenley in another neighborhood that didn't have all your upgrades. And so multiple things about framing were wrong. And then they just used the entire wrong electrical plan. And I understand for sure that mistakes like can happen in the home building process. But the thing that is so annoying is just they kept saying, oh, this is all normal. This is all normal concerns. All normal concerns. I have been told that it's all normal probably 10 times when it's clearly not normal. So what they're doing now, instead of keeping the electrical box upstairs instead of like moving that whole thing downstairs they're just giving us a second electrical panel and putting it downstairs and they said yep you just get two panels 
which is good for us, but then they tell us it's normal, which it's pretty clear that putting two panels in when you only planned one is not really normal. Like I would just like someone to just tell me, oh, it's really not normal, but you know, we're def we're gonna get it fixed for you. And this was just a, a fluke mishap. Like that would have just made me feel a lot better. Instead, I keep getting told that's all normal when it's just clearly not. So anyway, those are our woes with home building so far. You really need to be on top of what your builder is doing. At one point we were considering like moving to Michigan just temporarily while our house is being done because we have just been living with family for over a year um, or for about a year. We were considering like moving to Michigan for months at a time and it's like if we had done that we wouldn't have caught this issue because no one's going to know the house like we do like even if my family members were here and they were looking at it they wouldn't notice those types of things because they weren't in the electrical meetings you know so it's really important for you to be kind of near the house or like to have someone who knows it to the same level that you do to go in and check on the new build if you're unable to be there yourself but it is really important because if we had not caught those things, we would have caught them at the pre-drywall walkthrough, which was like two weeks later. And the delays would have been way, way longer. So I'm glad that we were on top of it and told them and communicated it and stuff like that. It's just very important to know your stuff and to not take crap from the builder sometimes. Like we were talking about just these vents that needed to be moved and wondering if we still had the right HVAC plan. And you just gotta be checking up on the builders because even if they're the best builders in the world, some mistakes will happen. And so it's important that you just know what to be on the lookout for. So pro tip. Um, okay, so then after the plumbing, electrical and HVAC, the roofing shingles are gonna be put on then you have your pre-drywall walkthrough. Now this is where you should be taking pictures of your house, where the studs are, where all the outlets are. Um, and you go through and they show you where everything is gonna be. Ours, there was not that, I mean, there was still some stuff wrong, like the framing stuff hadn't been fully fixed. And we asked them to like move some outlets and things. And so, um, that's kind of what you go through with the pre-drywall walkthrough. You kind of go through and see if there's any mistakes that you need to fix and make sure you're all in agreement that this is what it's supposed to look like. After they do the pre-drywall walkthrough, there'll be some inspections and then they insulate all the walls. Then they put up drywall. Now I've heard from drywall to close, like your closing date, it is 60 days. I've heard that's from the end of drywall, but that hasn't seemed to add up with any of the people that I know who have like moved into a house. The more consistent one I've heard and our friends have the exact timeline of is it's 75 days from your pre-drywall walkthrough to close, like give or take maybe a week or something, but that one seems to be pretty accurate. Pre-drywall walkthrough will be 75 days till close. So hopefully we are closing late May, but as usual, there are some delays. Okay, after drywall, 
they do interior finishes. So it's like your walls and ceilings are textured and painted and things like that. You then do exterior uh, finishes. So siding, stone, uh, paint the outside of your house, all that fun stuff where it really starts looking like your house. That is uh, right after interior finishes. Now some of these change order, like our siding was put up early. It hasn't been painted yet, but they're about to do the stone. And so, you know, depending on schedule, some of these could switch order, but that's, it. this tends to be the order. Um, then they do windowsills and trim. Then there are windowsills, or sorry, uh, cabinets and vanities are installed. Then bathroom fixtures are installed. There's mirrors hung. Landscaping is completed after that, which ours actually comes with no landscaping. So we're doing the front and the back. Most houses, I think, still do all the front landscaping for you. From what I've seen, that always seems very nice, but um, we are budgeting in landscaping for both the front and the back. Then after the landscaping, that's usually like the last step before the final walkthrough, you'll go through, they'll make sure like if there's any touch-ups I need to do, it, they'll make sure you know how to like work everything, all your appliances and you know, you, you know where everything is. And then you have closing. So that's the process of the actual building. Now for financing, it's been interesting. I really did not know how this worked really. So I want to go through this a little bit. So again, when you're buying, when you're custom building a home, you're going to need uh, a construction loan most likely. But with buying a new build, you're not going to actually need the money until you close. But you do need a lender to kind of, like the builder wants to see that you're pre-qualified. So there was a lender that's endorsed by our builder. They work together and they gave us a discount on the house for going with this lender. So when we signed our papers, we started the process of getting pre-qualified for our home through this lender. So they pulled our credit, they checked it, they said, okay, it looks like you guys have good credit and you will qualify for this amount of house based on your income. So that was over a year ago. That was January of 2021. Now, we don't actually do all the final stuff about getting a loan until I think it's about 60 days out. They're going to check everything again. We lock into a rate about 30 to 45 days out. That's when everything really gets locked in. And then on closing day, that's when, you know, you have your your loan and you know, that's when you sign and you need the money to transfer over. So, they give you the loan starting on like closing day, but you lock that in 30 to 45 days out. Interest rates are like skyrocketing because of this crazy inflation and all this economic turmoil. <laughs> so we're hoping to lock into like a somewhat decent rate, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm glad that we aren't at the point where interest rates are like 15% because that's what they used to be. So historically they're still low, even if we get like a 4%. It's just unfortunate because a year ago, the interest rates were like 2%, which would have been very nice. Um, 
Okay, and then the type of loan is also kind of important. I'm not going to go too much into this, but just a little caveat that I was not aware of. There's different types of loans depending on the amount that you're getting. So conventional loans have a federal limit. Conventional loans are ones that can be bought by Freddie May or Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, and it's set like federally. Um, so here, I'm just trying to pull up the actual loan limit because I forgot to <laughs> actually put that in my notes. So this says that the conventional loan limit for a single family home in 2022, it just went up, it's $647,200. So if you're under that loan amount, you can have a conventional loan, 30 year, it tends to be like better interest rates, I believe, um, because it's less risk, I think, for the bank because they can sell them. For a jumbo loan, that's if you're above that 647200 limit. If you're above that, you qualify for something called a jumbo loan. Now this, you have to have good credit. You have to have like six months of expenses, I think it is. They make they check your accounts and make sure you have enough money, things like that. It's a higher risk for the bank because they can't sell them. So they, I think, tend to have higher interest rates. But it sounds like right now they're about the same as a conventional loan. Um, so they that is a, a jumbo loan. There's something in between where if you're in a high cost area, like so for Douglas County um, or for certain counties, you know, you can, their limit is above the federal limit. So let's say it's like 680 instead of 647. If you're in that middle ground, you can get this other type of loan. But from what our loan lady has told us, the interest rates on those tend to be way higher not as good and you it's almost like more beneficial to just go with the conventional loans at least for how the economy is like right now so that's the financing side of it that's like the unfun side um but it is important to kind of know your financing options so for right now we are just in the waiting period we signed last january the house was supposed to be done in a year plus or minus 60 days so technically it could have been done november of 21 which i don't even think we had a foundation poured by then or like maybe we had uh maybe i think we had just gotten our foundation poured honestly by then and that was the original date that it could have closed so that was kind of a joke um the latest estimate they gave us is july which would not be great um so anyway, right now we are just patiently waiting. We think we're going to close the end of May, but we are hoping and praying it does not get delayed past the end of May. We are very ready to be in a house. We've loved living with people and are very thankful that we get a place to live and like save money and uh, be comfortable and not have to like live in a hotel, like an extended stay or anything. Um, but yeah. It's just going to be very, very exciting to finally have a home after a year and a half of being nomads. So um, that is our situation right now. That is the process of buying a home. I hope this was informational and informative for you all. 
And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. I'll be here on Thursday with another state history episode. We are going over Massachusetts and the state history of Massachusetts. So hope you all enjoyed. Make sure to leave a review and um, rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. I would very much appreciate it. Thank you all so much, and I will see you on Thursday. Bye, everyone.